From Madison, Wisconsin, World Dairy Expo presents The Dairy Show, the digital meeting place of the global dairy industry, where we sit down to talk cows, cutting edge technology, and the colored shavings. Welcome back, listeners to The Dairy Show. I am your host, Katie Schmidt. And this week's episode has our first returning guest, and I'm so excited to welcome Mark Comfort back to The Dairy Show this week as our 2022 International Person of the Year. So welcome to the show, Mark. Many thanks, Katie, and I'm so honored to have been given this award. Truly, truly blessed and honored. Well, it is very deserving, and our listeners will recognize that shortly if they're not familiar with who you are in our industry yet. But I understand you want to share a little bit about your nominator before we get into the story about your history in the dairy industry. I must say a huge thank you to the, to the late George Miller, who helped me make my career and this award possible. He was a man who saw into people and their potential. He was honored by Holstein USA as a Distinguished Service Award winner for his contributions to the industry from creating Round Oak Ragapple Elevation who has been quoted as the sire who forever lifted worldwide dairy breeding to a new level. He also selected and was a loyal supporter to many people that were builders in the industry. He selected my company, Transfer Genetics, in 1981, when I was just 26 years old, and he said to me, you're one of the youngest hires I've ever done. But that didn't matter. I was one of George's boys, and he worked with me for the next two decades. I was surprised and honored when three years ago, at 91 years of age, George called me and said he was nominating me for this award. I couldn't believe it. Uh, he'd already been in touch with Richard Chichester, who he'd worked with for years, John and Bonnie Moore, Chuck Warden and Dr. Evans, both past presidents of their breed associations. And with the help of Sherry Bunning, a wonderful ag writer, he did this all. All I can say is many thanks. This is an incredible award, and I am truly honored. There are two more points I'd like to mention. Holstein International owner Jan Burma said George should always be remembered as Mr. Elevation. And second, Select Sires recently established a scholarship fund in George's name with the proceeds from their coming new top 10 GTPI sire named George Miller. This bull graduated just here last week in April, the first week of April. He was bred by the breeder Lars Akers of Wisconsin, and I admire them for naming the bull George Miller, and I'm not surprised the bull went to the top 10 at Select Sires. I will be ordering semen as soon as I can on George Miller, and I look forward to that scholarship fund going to many young people. George would be truly honored. So you mentioned transfer genetics, and I know that is a huge part of your career, but where did you get your start in the dairy industry? I grew up on a small dairy and sheep farm in Niagara County, Ontario, and do what's right is the value I recall the most from growing up on the farm. I grew up in a double house with my grandparents in their half, and that was a blessing. I was the oldest of three and spent much of my time as possible with them. I adored my grandfather, who was a real livestock man. He loved farming, family, and especially breeding the best Shropshire sheep he could. At 56 years of age, he boarded a cargo train with his best sheep and headed for the International Livestock Show in Chicago. He had a winner who was reserve grand champion U. When he returned, I was four years old at the time, and he told me, that one's yours. From that moment on, I tracked her and followed every offspring. I loved that U. 
When I was five, I boarded the train again with my grandfather, and we headed to the World's Fair in Detroit. His goal was to pick a new breed of sheep to add on. During the trip, the train was shot at by a random rifle shooter. It was so close to me, it's unbelievable. I saw the glass bust by my window and the glass drop onto my little book that I was reading as I sat beside my grandfather. Thankfully, no one was injured. A year later, he traded those Cordell sheep because he, he wasn't so thrilled with them that he bought for his first registered Holsteins to add to his herd. I showed my first heifer at the local fair when I was 10 years old from those that he had bought. That sparked an interest in me as a teenager to search for the best sires available. That passion of searching for the best sires has never left me for the past 50 years. The right sire is the pathway to success. I went to the University of Guelph with the goal of animal science. And one of my early friends, John Burke, who I called Lucky Barb after the famous cow, John's Lucky Barb, saw this interest in genetics in me. And one of the most popular sires at the time was called Puget Sound Highmark. He tagged me with the name Puget Sound. It's interesting that this friend worked at MTRAM at the time, who was the first in Canada doing embryo transfers. A lot of them on beef cows, but a few dairy cows. And guess who he worked on? He worked on Round Oak Ivanhoe Eve, who at that time had her famous son, Elevation, braiding waves in AI. Turn the clock 45 years to today. And Lucky Barb, Walter McClure, George's longtime friend, and myself are working on the Eve Project. She was never given credit for the milk she produced in Canada during her six-month stay at MTRAM. Even giving her two months credit would add on to her 196,000 pounds lifetime, which is an amazing amount of milk, but she should be over the 200,000 pounds easily, giving her that special award, which she rightfully deserves. And George always thought she should have had it. And we're working on that today, Katie. It's a good mission to keep you busy. I, I like that. Can you explain what transfer genetics is, Mark, or, or I guess maybe was? Yeah, it, how it come about. It really goes back to when I got started in the semen AI business and where, the, where it, everything t- took me. My first job coming out of university, I was very lucky to get it, was, the eventual, was eventually was the marketing director for Eastern Breeders. I enjoyed touring people from all over the world that came and inspected daughters. I also enjoyed marketing semen in the U.S. from Canada with much success selling to well-known distributors like Dick Witter of Tara Service. So something that continued to uh, stir my curiosity in the 1980s was the fact that U.S. semen did not come to Canada, hardly in any way. In our EBI territory, inseminating 150,000 cows, I, I went into the vault and found out and studied it, that there was only 16 units of U.S. semen used in, it in the same year that 150,000 cows were bred. It was natural for me to go, to go and start looking at the possibility of being a distributor in Canada. And I believed in the vision that great sires go everywhere, which is so true. You know, I know that U.S. semen had to be cleared into Canada, but it had to be cleared through Canadian AI units that were already producing semen. It also had to be distributed in the Canadian network. I knew the manager of St. Jacob's ABC, Mark Cressman. This was the smallest of the four units in Ontario. And after leaving EBI, I knew Mark would help me land U.S. Seaman and would arrange delivery. So I had a way in for U.S. Seaman. So then I got on the phone to select sires, and I was able to talk to George Miller. That was my first time talking with George. And I knew that he had the top sires. 
having elevation and a lot of other good ones. And surprisingly, my timing was perfect as he had an interest in setting up an exclusive distributor in Canada. When I told him my plan for distribution, he said, young man, get ready. You could be run out of Canada on a rail. There were moments when George's visionary warning statement might have happened. But due to the dedicated breeders in Canada and their passion to want to breed the best, the statement being the great sires go everywhere carried me and everything forward. I owe so many breeders a thank you for causing the change in the laws that existed for more than 30 years. They helped change the way AI business is now conducted compared to what it was. Previously, select sires, before I started, had made one shipment into Canada annually. Semen was so scarce, it was usually elevation only. So when uh, I placed my first order uh, in 1981, and I ordered a lot of elevation semen, in fact, was made up mainly of elevation semen, some Glendale, Mars, Tony, and Bell. Total bill in that first order was $50,000. I landed it at St. Jacob's ABC, and the elevation semen priced at $600 sold so quickly that it launched the business. So I spent the next year connecting with elite herds, Hanover Hill, Oak Ridges, Glen Afton, Roybrook, Bonhaven, Pickland, Meadow Lake, and Romandale, managed by a big supporter of mine, David Houck. I soon realized that the volume of business wasn't enough just to go to these elite breeders. I needed to increase the units and find new herds. There were only about 30 tanks that I knew. This had to change, and I organized my first AI course. Ten farms were lined up, many thinking they were just going to learn how to infuse cows, as they had been told for decades that a semen technician was necessary to breed their cows. So that also going on at the same time, I had to keep building sales, so I was traveling the province to make business, and I run into a breeder by the name of Frank Leopard of Uxbridge. He had a tank, and he said, Mark, I'll only buy your semen if you deliver it to my tank. He wouldn't allow my competitors or anyone to handle semen that he purchased from me. Frank was 200 miles from my home, but I decided to fulfill his request. The only way was to take his tank in the backseat of my car to St. Jacob's, about 100 miles away. This made it a legal transaction, as St. Jacob's were packing and recording the shipment of blue tickets required by Holstein Canada at that time to register calves with legal traceable semen. The next time I went to Frank's, he needed semen again, and this time I didn't drive his tank to St. Jacob's. I got a hold of St. Jacob's ahead and asked him to bus his order to the Uxbridge bus station. I went and met Frank and his wife, had some breakfast, and met the bus when it arrived and made the transfer. Truly, Frank and I had a feeling that this was a momentous moment, getting semen not delivered by an Ontario AI into his tank. We thought we were really doing something. And it, the stars went off, and immediately I realized that I needed to start this delivery for all tanks. So from then on, I contacted St. Jacob's, and they shipped uh, the orders on blue tickets made out by them. So I had to go around to tanks, get the orders, and then go back and deliver them. So it was always two trips to make an actual order. Now going back to the AI courses that were set up, 10 people at a time over two to three days. George Miller set me up with the most experienced and talented AI trainer from Michigan, Vince Ebeno. He knew exactly what to do in this three-day course using cull cows from those 10 herds. But just to give you a picture of how effective Vince was, the final session at the end of the three days for the 10 breeders was done in the basement of a house 
It's supposed to start at 9 p.m. It didn't start till 9.30 p.m. after everyone got there that they'd milked their cows. So at 9.30, we start. And Vince told me before, he said, watch me. I will have every farm ordering a tank by the end of the night. It was near 10.30 towards almost 11 o'clock. And Vince started in. He started with the first man. Will you take a tank? Yes. And he went down through the whole line. All 10 ordered a tank. I could hardly believe he did it. I was hoping maybe he'd get a few, but maybe half at most. But he got everybody on board. Vince was an amazing guy. He wasn't done. The next day, he said to me, what semen do you have to start those herds in their, in their tanks so they can get going? I told him, I, I don't have any inventory. I wasn't allowed by the rules to carry any semen. St. Jacob's had the semen. I had to get the pre-order and then have it shipped later to them. Vince said, why? I said, that's the rules. And Vince said, why? And I repeated myself, that's the rules, Vince. He said again, why? And finally, it sank in that I needed to try and get something different done. I contacted St. Jacob's and worked an agreement to become part of their staff so I could carry an inventory of semen and I could issue the blue tickets and the producers could select their semen. This was a stretch for St. Jacob's as the provincial law stated that St. Jacob's could only deliver their, in their immediate area, which was two surrounding counties, not the 300 miles away that I was. A big growth period occurred in the next two or three years. I organized an AI course of 10 people every other week for a solid year. After that, smaller individual groups began. I had 10 trainers employed over that period. It was the hottest ticket in town for dairy farmers to learn how to inseminate their own cows. This took a chunk of income from the Ontario AIs with their techs charging about $15 per cow. The other pushback from them was the lingo that farmers couldn't do it as well as their technicians. Boy, did these farmer breeders prove the establishment wrong. They had very satisfying results. These early owner breeders excelled and the word spread. I estimate that we hit nearly a thousand farms trained in Ontario. During this time, St. Jacob's ABC was going through financial difficulties and couldn't afford a manager. So they appointed an office person with no farm experience as manager. When this new manager attended the first joint AI meetings of all the managers in Ontario, the new manager returned from the meeting with fear that St. Jacob's would lose their distribution license from the government if they didn't end the arrangement with me. I received a registered letter from St. Jacob's ABC on a Friday afternoon. I remember well picking up the mail. I was in shock. All the work that we'd done was on hold. It stated that my arrangements with St. Jacob's was terminated. I immediately decided to visit every St. Jacob's ABC director, even if they were five hours away. I had to get it going. It was do or die. On the Saturday, upon visiting Claude Pickett, Bruce Whitmer, and Bob Hawthorne, three of the five directors were good enough that they called an emergency meeting for Monday morning. They wanted to discuss it further with me. They added on Ord Eby. He was the fourth director. And by having four directors, there seemed to be a split between the four that day as we sat in the meeting. I wasn't sure which way it was going to go. I thank God for Claude Pickett. Based on the information he had from a, that it came to light that the government had a year before looked at the situation at St. Jacob's and I was okay on staff. Claude proposed, he said, let sleeping dogs lie and let's continue with Mark. I love the sound of those words. For the next two years, all went well until the Ontario government laid charges on me 
and one of my reps for illegal delivery of semen in Ontario. A court case was set for July 1986 in Guelph. Prior to that, I made a trip to see George Miller and Dick Chichester, manager of Select. I needed their commitment to back me as I knew I could not take on the government alone and incur all the legal costs. Dick thought the same and contacted another three studs with interest in us winning the case. The case was assigned three days for court with the verdict being determined by judge. Besides arguing the case on its merits, there was also a new charter of rights in Canada that had just come out and hadn't been tested by a company. The three lawyers decided that they should use that as a defense as well. So as things were going on, I was very thankful at the time my brother Neil, a dairy farmer in Niagara County, he was a great help to me. Besides running his dairy farm, he lined up people for AI courses that we did in that area in some of Western Ontario. He helped me with farm visits and was a promoter of select sires. One of his clients and friends was also president of the Ontario Holsteins. He was Bob Brown. He was also a director for sire procurement at the time for Western Ontario breeders. This 50-year-old had judged internationally and saw the value of using the best sires available. My brother heard the lawyers say as Bob left the room that he was going to be an important part of the trial. What the lawyers did on the first day of the trial was qualify Bob as an expert witness. As well as Bob's testimony, Bill Reed, president of Ontario Brown Swiss, took the stand. Also, a letter from the Ontario Jersey president, Bill Fletcher, was read. All three supported the open delivery of semen to their tanks. They had been trained to breed their own cows by us, and my company was stopping routinely and offering, offering them semen. So they were experiencing what free choice was like. The trial concluded. Actually, it was just two days of full testimony, including myself on the stand. Every aspect was brought to light by the lawyers. And in fact, that the law was written in the 1950s more to protect the delivery of fresh semen in tight areas than it was uh, anything to do with frozen semen. It had nothing to do with frozen. This case, when the verdict came in a few months later, we had a victory. However, it was taken to appeal by the Ontario government and uh, was lost at appeal. So therefore, it needed to go to the Supreme Court of the province. The government knew at that time a win from us meant the laws were all gone and there was no laws. And for us, it was everything to win. We had to win. Our lawyers took the case to the media, placing ads, stating our case, the fact that we had three Ontario Breed Associations all supporting our view. So what happened was negotiations took place between the government, the lawyers, and that selling of semen imported semen would be allowed, but only Ontario AI companies could provide insemination services. This became the new law, but we were in business. Following the win, the amount of U.S. semen coming to the market grew. Here's the sires that resulted from the semen that flowed to all the breeders in, in Ontario and Canada. The cross of Black Star on Comb Star's Laurie Chic from Quebec produced four millionaire sires for CMEX as well as another millionaire sire for CMEX, Olive Home Airline, an Aerostar from Olive Home Mark Becky, who resulted on a mating that I did on a routine Friday afternoon when a, we knocked on a door and a fellow said, I'll buy some semen, I have a nice heifer. He says, I'll trust you, who would you breed it to? And I said, Chief Mark would work great on that Starbuck heifer. That turned out to be Mark Becky and then the following airline. Another impact sire also at CMEX that resulted from this World Area Expo's premier sire for many years, Braydale Goldwyn, 
Who would have known that so many influential sires would have come from those early days of crossing the best in Canada with the best in the U.S.? On the female side, you know, we look at that too. It's quite amazing. We see two-time World Dairy Expo champion Rainy Ridge Tony Beauty, the oldest World Dairy Expo champion at 14 years. Another personal favorite was the two-times grand and supreme champion World Dairy Expo RF Goldwyn Haley. In the years leading up to George's passing in 2021, we would often review and talk about the great genetics that kept coming from the sires that were imported. It was so satisfying to George that the breed and everyone had benefited, Katie. That's incredible. I, wow. Okay, so I have questions. Why did Canada have this law in place that prohibited the importation of U.S. genetics? Was it for all outside genetics or was it just the the U.S. to Canada? Yeah, very good question. It was all outside genetics. They had a tremendous insemination base. All cattle, cattle in Canada basically were done by their own technicians. It started first with the fresh semen in the in the fifties, and each of those three three major studs in Ontario developed their own sires, and they had the fresh semen made, and it only could go to small areas, so they needed laws to protect that. And then it just you know the idea of farmers not breeding their cows, they really didn't offer courses, they didn't really want to take care of that need, even though it was growing big in the U.S., it wasn't in Canada. And they weren't about to drop their technicians and add tanks. Uh, So it just became a mindset. I've got to tell you, like in my first years there, I remember talking to the to the technician group, and uh, I did a I did a, a a talk on selling, and just some tips about selling because I was learning it myself, and I thought I'll share it with them. And I had quite a few ask me why I did that after because they didn't have to sell. It was a whole culture and it, it was hard for them to change. Change is hard. And, and I'd have never got through it, only it was inch by inch. When you look at the beginning to the end, it was almost six years of steady, just bit by bit. And when I talked to Claude Pickett and David Hauk in those early days, they didn't think it was possible to even make this change, even though it looks so obvious today. Right. And, and the same as George Miller. That's why he made the comment about about what what could happen. <laughs> so did each province then have their own group of sires and they weren't even sharing across Canada? Yeah, they yeah, it was a long time before CMEX was developed. Yeah, each stud even the even into the 80s, well almost the 90s, late 90s before the, I I'm not sure exactly what, but I know the early 80s when I was there, we promoted our own each stud promoted their own sires. And when I took those sires, I took to the U.S. to sell for EBI. It was just EBI sires that I was selling in the U.S. So it was, it was just a complete change of a system. That's why I explained the whole story, how gradual it was, and how it took so many people in doing their bit, in, including Bob Brown in that testimony, uh, and having each Ontario director support it. Everything fell into place to make it happen. And you say it's all a coincidence, but it's pretty, pretty amazing how it all come together. There's a lot of work put into that too, though. So a handful of breed associations saw the ability to import U.S. semen as a positive for their breed, but the semen companies in Canada were the ones that were kind of blocking it. Am I understanding that correctly? Exactly right. It was, they didn't want to welcome competition. I mean, 
you know, who who wants to bring the competitor a, a good one in <laughs> if you don't have to? Well, right. If you got a good thing going. Yeah. And, and they thought the SAR development, I'm sure it was working for them. You know, they were developing SARS. They were selling well internationally, you know. But it, the, the nice part is they were the big winners in the end <laughs> when, they, when it opened up and the breeders got to use these very elite bulls on these great cow families. I can't imagine functioning in that business space without the openness and worldwideness that we know today. It's hard to think that that was only, what, 35, 40 years ago that yes. all of this yes. was taking place. And, and now we have the again, the open markets that we see today and that yeah. we know today. And we all needed, we all needed the open market. So. Right. Right. I can't imagine how different the, the industry would look today if we didn't have those, right. If we couldn't share those genetics and open those lines of business across borders. Yes, I, I totally agree. I, it, it, it had to happen, but I'll tell you those decisions at that time were 50-50 each way. It wasn't a slam dunk. It was not a slam dunk. Even the lawyers said there, this is going to be close, you know? <laughs> so. so if we think about like the arm service side of it, because I think that's also really interesting in this greater picture that is essentially revolutionizing the Canadian semen industry. Who was telling farmers that they couldn't inseminate their own cows? Like, why was that a a hindrance. Everyone was. It, it, it had, I mean, because I don't know if you remember, uh, as a kid growing up, when the, the technician came, he was a special guy. He was to the farm often breeding cows. He was like a best friend of the family. I remember him coming and uh, I think my brother was named after him. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, they were very trusted, the, the, the technician group, very trusted. You wouldn't think that you could do a better job. But one of my close friends today, a veterinarian, he said, Mark, you can't beat timing of doing it yourself, whether it's putting embryos in or whether it's putting semen in. You can't beat the timing because you're there. And when I, there's a time cattle need to be done and implanted and uh, you, you can't beat the, the person themselves doing it, the owner breeder. But we didn't, we didn't have anybody saying that in those days. I actually tracked the results out of each tank and that went in. I kept results on the conception to show people. And, and then, then the word started to spread as each one, gee, yeah, this is easy. Why aren't you doing it? You know? And I also give thanks in Canada that we, we had so many Dutch and Swiss and European people that came to farm that sold a very expensive property in Europe, came to Canada and became part of it. They were very open to us genetics and very open to new ideas too. So, that helped lead the way. Eventually, everyone come on board, but it, it, it's, there is a mindset. There is a mindset that you have to believe you can do it. Which I, I think is kind of this entrepreneurial mindset, right? That dairy farmers have to have that clearly you have throughout your career, creating transfer genetics and then utter comfort and then still breeding cows and sheep on the side. I guess, Mark, is there anything that you accredit to that entrepreneurial spirit or that background or that drive to do things that push the boundaries like this? Well, I think it's, I think it's growing up. I really believe it all happens when you're very young. The willingness to go that extra, you don't quit till you're done. You know, you don't, 
you don't go you don't go to the house until the work's done you you have to you have to complete things and there's something about farming and nature you always have to have hope that it's going to be better and and be excited about everything that's happening and and there is a lot of excitement each year that happens so it's uh, it's always new but i and that's why i wanted to give credit to my grandfather it's he was uh, pretty amazing i know even when i was about 10 or 12 he grew some sweet corn across the road and i said boy you grew a lot of sweet corn grandpa and he says you're going to sell it mark <laughs> so 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 we started selling at the end of the road you know and it was pretty neat to see that it was surprising when i went first to university i had a chance to rent 10 acres of land and i grew 10 acres of sweet corn and i i actually Believed it was in the Niagara Peninsula. There was peaches, cherries, all this stuff. I started dropping it off to, to every stand I could find. I thought I was the sweet corn king of Niagara, you know. And then I, then from that, I I could use the telephone. And I could jump on and uh, sell pears, and I started buying pears and grapes and putting loads together to send to stores <laughs> while I was going to university. So, uh, but that started with my grandfather saying, you're going to grow, sell that corn. You know, like, I, I think we can't wait on our kids. We have to get our kids involved early. Wow. Who would have thought all of, all of this started with sweet corn though. It's true. It's my, true. my brother will be happy to know his summer project um, was selling sweet corn as well. So maybe he's meant for great things still too. <laughs> it's all good. I'll have to let him know. So, okay. So this really sets the stage then for creating utter comfort then too, right? Because I mean, you created this genetics company, you sell it to select, things are happening in Canada, and then you decided that you had time on your hands and just, and you wanted to start something new, or, or how did this come to be, or why? Uh, I had utter comfort. Uh, it started slowly. I knew there was a big need on, on cattle udders to, to get the swelling out and get the hardness out, and I started selling another product when I when I had Trans Canada Selects hires at that time. So I started with the product because there was a need. And I also saw in the US that they were doing the same thing. So udders were, were something that needed to, you know, every cow freshens, everything's got swelling and there's all these hard quarters. So it's, a, it's an issue. Then the idea came forward that we, we could make a better product. And it wasn't, I was excited to hear that. And we started working with it in Canada and we're very impressed with what it could do. And, but I had a lot of other things on the go, and it was just on the side. And it wasn't until we went to the US that I went to the first trade show, and we told people, listen, this stuff can take hard quarters and in a couple of days soften them and straighten things out. And they, they go, wow, you know, how can something on the outside of the other do this? I said, well, so we give out a lot of samples and a lot of people, quite a few people that I met in that very first trade show, show in New York are close friends today. In fact, Chuck Warden works with us on a part-time basis as a innovator and uh, does trade shows. And Dr. Evans uh, is another one uh, and actually yeah, a good friend as well. They, they like the product and uh, it just kept growing from there. When we started putting the ads out, our our phone lines actually lit up and rang so hard that I was doing other things. The person couldn't handle it. They said, Mark, you got to come in here. 
And it was, it was incredible for three months how it, it just took off. The real thing with Utter Comfort was going to, was going to World Air Expo in, in the late 2007 range. We had our first exhibit and we gave out samples through the barn and started talking with breeders using our product. And we estimated then that maybe 70% of the barn were already using it. They'd heard of how, how good it was. Well, the next year we went back and we gave out products to the barn again. This time it was 90% range that were, and these are the best caretakers in the world at Madison, you know, looking after udders. It's vital. And we're just going, wow, it's, you know, incredible. So then when we got asked to do the champion checks by World Air Expo, and we're very, very honored to do that, uh, we started checking with each champion to see if they used utter comfort. And over a decade that we did, 99% used utter comfort. So it was really, really something. So I, I say Utter Comfort and World Day Expo came together like butter on toast. It was just, they were made for each other. A compliment. Yeah, we met so many international distributors that started, we started many countries out of World Day Expo. I remember the people from Japan, the owner coming there with a translator. The first day he picked up information at our booth. I was lucky enough to be there to meet him. He came back the next day with his translator. And then we, we sent information and then we actually sent a person to Japan. And what was interesting with, with that culture is that everybody from the secretary to the salespeople, anyone associated with utter comfort that they sold, they had there to listen to our trainer. And they took that product and have done really, really amazing with it. So it's, it's incredible what can, what can get done. Well, I don't know that it's uh, FDA approved, but I can say that the expo staff uses Utter Comfort on our feet <laughs> the week of the show. Man, it does wonders on Utters. It also does wonders on feet. <laughs> oh, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> we can add that to your testimonial list. But Mark, <laughs> I have to ask, if there is a young person listening to this and they, they have this drive to to try new things, to push the boundaries, to own their own business, what kind of advice would you offer them as they're starting out in a career or a career path like this? Oh, first you can do it. Uh, first you can do it. You have to be patient. You have to give it time. It has to be quality. Whatever you come up with, it's got to be a quality product and there's got to be a, a spot for it. That's important. Keep your income on coming different ways because it may take time to get going, but you can do it. I like that. I think we're going to actually end with that because that's a perfect way to kind of sum this all up. And I am looking forward to seeing you in person this fall, Mark, and talking about these sheep because we didn't get to it today. And I am intrigued by the fact that you have cows and sheep. But thank you so much for taking the time to join us again on The Dairy Show. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Katie. Always, always awesome. And I just thank you again for this award. I'm so honored. Sometime I'd like to, there's a lot of people in the Holstein business that I've been fortunate to meet. And I've been so thankful that it's because of World Air Expo that a lot of it has happened, you know, either at the show or at Classic Sale, you know, or, or people from all over the world that have come there. People from the Netherlands, uh, Germany, different countries. It's, it's all made possible because of World Day Expo. It's so vital to the industry. Keep up the great work. We need you.
Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Dairy Show. We hope you enjoyed it. And don't forget to hit like and subscribe wherever you are listening to us today. And of course, don't forget to tell your friends about how much you are enjoying The Dairy Show. We would love to have them join us as well. And last but not least, if you have any comments for us, send us an email at wde at wdexpo.com. We would love to hear from you. 